I'm not crying, you're crying. Okay, maybe I'm crying a little. But it's only because I finally got my son off of YouTube and he who shall not be named, though I'll say it rhymes with Rippy. I'm crying because I've been watching a whole bunch of Disney Plus, and I have to say when I turned that on, I was not expecting the emotional and psychological thrill ride that is Encanto. You know, I saw this colorful-looking animated movie about a family who lives in a magic house that grants them superpowers. I knew it was supposed to be good, and I mean, I like Disney movies, I like animated movies, so I figured I would enjoy it, but I was not ready for just how good this movie was going to be, how deep it was going to be. Holy crap, literally this episode is going to be just me talking about how much I've been enjoying my son's obsession with this movie. I think I've watched it in little, you know, toddler-sized chunks probably at least four or five times now in full, and every time it just gets better, it gets deeper. I'm blown away, so I wanted to just kind of take this episode to spout a little bit about how impressed I've been and how much I've enjoyed this movie. I love movies. If you love movies, let's get into it. We're going to break down the psychology of Encanto. Yeah, I'm resilient. Won't get caught up in my woes. I just do it for the and tiny fingers and toes. Spoiler alert, this episode is going to contain spoilers, so if you have not seen Encanto, go watch it right now. You can thank me later. As I said before, Encanto is the charming story of a Colombian family who lives in a magic house that grants them superpowers. Uh, right off the bat, can I just say how good this movie looks and how insane animation has gotten over the years. I remember like I was a kid when animated movies first really started coming out. You see things like Toy Story and Shrek. You go back and watch those now. I mean, they still look good. The stories still hold up, but the rendering and the animation, the detail and the quality of the animation has gone just leaps and bounds ahead as we progressed into the future. It's insane. I looked up the production budget for Encanto. It's about $120 million. Now, obviously, some of that goes to paying the cast and other production costs, but I have to imagine a significant chunk of the cost of this movie was just running servers to make these crazy detailed animations. I mean, you can literally see the hairs on people's arms. You can see bits of fuzz and fluff. You can watch every wrinkle on a character's dress move as they walk. Some dust will kick up into the air, and you can literally see hundreds of thousands of particles animated by computer. So right off the bat, you gotta just respect how much animation power, computing power, and even just math to make these kind of physics renderings work. It must have been an insane task. It must be incredibly complicated to put something like this together. The movie's beautiful. It really shows. Next thing I want to just gush about for this movie has got to be the music. Again, I've uh, more recently come off of kind of a blippy fix with my son. And, you know, in general, if you've heard the kind of music that typically gets made for children, it's very simplistic and it's incredibly annoying. My son now loves the music from this movie. And I have to say, I love it too. The lyrics and the rhyming are clever, the songs are catchy, and it's complicated music. It's not just overly simple rock and pop tunes. There's key changes, harmonies, multiple parts coming in and out. It's really 
complicated and and just super engaging music and i have to say i actually really really appreciate it as i'll discuss a little deeper later on a lot of the lyrics in the songs are actually quite deep as well one of the songs references the importance of staying mindful and the power that you can achieve in yourself when you stay in the moment instead of worrying about expectations normally musicals and especially disney movies with music in them I don't know, they're okay. I haven't really enjoyed them a whole lot. I think the the Frozen movies did some pretty good stuff, but this this is different. Like these songs, I don't know, I just really really enjoyed them. So, another tick in the box for why I am a big fan of this movie. Let's get into the psychology and the plot, shall we? Although not the main character, the head of the family, the Madrigal family, is known as Abuela, the grandmother. I think the character's actual name is Alma. It's not important, she's really only ever referred to as Abuela. And her story and background really provides the driving force and the conflict for this movie. Once again, spoiler alert. Close to the end of the movie, you actually learn that Abuela, after having recently given birth to three children, was driven out of her home by some sort of terrible violence with her husband at the time. Fleeing on foot with refugees, they are caught up to by violent armed men, and her husband ultimately sacrifices himself to save them and save the people they're with. I mean, me laying it out like this really doesn't do it justice, and this actually occurs closer to the end of the movie, so really I'm sort of explaining a lot of this out of order, but I mean, this is another scene that really blew my mind with this film, was just the sheer emotional impact that it had. I mean, there's this moment in in the scene when they're showing it where this, this guy, the abuelo, you know, kisses his wife and his three little babies goodbye and runs off to uh, fight or sort of save the townsfolk from these raiders. And uh, I cried. I cried really hard. I could not stop myself at all. I had to sort of almost like explain and comfort my son for a moment, like just how that was how much it affected me. Like it's such a a deep moment. So, you know, I think for kids, it it doesn't quite hit as hard. But after having become a parent uh, and and a father and, you know, you see that moment, it was like, oh, that really that was a punch in the gut. But it's also sort of a beautiful moment in the film, as we'll kind of talk about later. Ultimately, what happens is the abuelo's sacrifice gives rise to a blessing, a miracle, magic spell of sorts, where the candle that they were carrying at the time to give them light suddenly gives rise to these mountains that sequester them in into this beautiful sort of hidden valley. And it creates out of nowhere this magic house for the abuela to live in and raise her family. And then we learn that the house grants the children and the people living inside of it magic powers, which they then use to serve their community. One of the things that has gotten Encanto a lot of accolades and eyes on it from people is its depiction of trauma. As the film sort of plays out, we learn just how much this experience has affected her emotionally, and as a result, she has passed on a lot of her anxieties and troubles as a result of being afraid of losing the safety and the gift of this miracle that she's gotten. In taking care of everyone, she inadvertently passes a lot of these things down onto her children and her other extended family members and causes sort of quite a bit of hidden and underlying conflict that ripples throughout the family and you see it play out and impact everyone in different ways in their relationships and their own personal well-being. 
As far as intergenerational trauma goes and the kinds of rabbit holes that can create and, and, you know, challenges in family systems it can, it can put on people, this is a fairly tame representation of that. But I think it does a really good job of showing just how much negative life experiences and the effect of traumatic experiences can have on individual people and can affect families going through generations and affect the mental health and well-being of families. And I think as well, it shows a lot of the interesting ways in which family members interact with each other, form dynamics, and attempt to cope with the challenges that they face based on these stressors being put upon them. For example, one predominant theme that runs through Encanto is the idea of family expectations. Abuel is depicted as generous, kind-hearted, and a loving member of her community. She's shown encouraging the family members to reach out to the community and use their gifts to help others and keep their miracle, their little sequestered paradise alive. But as she says herself, in doing so, she loses sight of the value of the people themselves. The family becomes not really a cluster of individuals with their own wants, hopes, needs. They become more defined by the gift that they have and the value that they have in serving the family and their community. This is embodied primarily in the two sisters, Isabella and Luisa, the grandchildren of Abuela. Luisa, given the power of super strength, takes over many of the chores and expectations of the community. She actually ends up doing most of the work around the village for people. And although she is quite good at it because of her gift, she experiences a significant amount of pressure. She feels like she absolutely has to do these things for people. And if she can't be of service and she can't be everything for everybody, she's worthless and will have failed. This is shown through another great song in the movie called Surface Pressure, where she literally sings about how much pressure she feels she's under. Great song. On the other side, you have Isabella, the family archetype of the perfect one. She's shown as incredibly beautiful, always being able to pose and make other people smile. She's kind of depicted as the face of the family. She is, you know, ultimately later on you learn she's going to be marrying someone that she doesn't like solely because she's trying to meet the family's expectations. She's always trying to make things beautiful and make others feel better by creating this sense of beauty and showing outward perfection. But deep down, she longs for freedom and emotional expression that doesn't fit in with the perfect ideals of the family. Her character arc culminates in her realizing that she doesn't want to meet the family's expectations anymore and uses her power of growing beautiful flowers with her mind. Instead of growing beautiful flowers for everybody, she learns to grow cactuses and other cool, weird plants because that's what she's really passionate about. Again, I make a joke of it, but it is kind of a beautiful metaphor for following your your own passions and your own heart and a really good song another great song these two characters are also good examples of what certain family therapists might call high functioning individuals these are people who take the pressure and the expectations and the challenges of a family and sort of rise to the occasion they take on more of the load they try to deal with the problems by fixing the problems by being on top of things by being there for and taking care of things in a very overt outward manner but what about when a member of the family is not capable of handling the pressures and the expectations that are placed on them. Or perhaps their unique style creates conflict. It doesn't quite fit in with the needs and the expectations that are placed on them. This is where you create the family archetype, sometimes known as the black sheep or the family scapegoat. In this case, we see it created in the Abuela's only son, Bruno, Uncle Bruno. 
Another great song in Encanto, We Don't Talk About Bruno. Check it out. Bruno is described as the family weirdo, bit of an odd dude, bit of a character. He inherits the superpower of looking into the future. He can literally create visions of the future and get brief, albeit kind of cryptic, flashes of what's going to be. Many of the family and townsfolk are depicted as kind of superstitious of Bruno. Many of his prophecies end up being somewhat negative, and when they come true, he gets blamed for them happening. He sees the future, he sees something bad happens in the future, he tells people about it, and then it does happen, and they get creeped out by him. They, they start to sort of almost blame him for bad things happening. And uh, also, he inadvertently sort of makes jokes, you know, Another member of the family who could be described as sort of a lower-functioning individual or who is negatively impacted by the emotional burdens of the family is his sister Peppa, who can control the weather. She's depicted as manifesting the anxiety from the pressure of the family externally. You first meet her running around outside the house stressing about guests coming and creating a tiny hurricane with her emotions. Rather than suppress or control herself and try to rise to the expectations of the family, she outwardly expresses her emotions and becomes destabilized and dysregulated when she experiences a sense of pressure or stress from family challenges. Uncle Bruno, in his awkwardness, attends her wedding and tries to make a joke to make her feel better about, hey, maybe it's going to rain. I think he says it looks like rain, something like that. And naturally, she sees it as a prophecy, freaks out, causes a hurricane with her weather powers and her emotions, and then Bruno is blamed. Again, I'm explaining all of this way out of order, so I hope you've already seen the movie. But when we first are actually introduced to Bruno, or we meet the idea of Bruno in the film, it's understood that he's disappeared. He became such a challenge to the family, his, his odd ways of being and his difficulties that he caused for them were such an issue that he simply vanished. He disappeared. He ran away. And nobody talks about him. Literally, they sing a song called We Don't Talk About Bruno, where the very mention of his name is hushed away and shut down, and he's looked at as sort of a shadowy, dark stain on the family. Again, going back to the theme of how individuals sort of try to play out their own personal and special roles inside of a family, although a scapegoat and sort of universally disliked and blamed for a lot of things and someone who voluntarily exits the family distances himself from the family as a result, Bruno is actually seen as a still very loving and contributory member of the family. You find out later in the film, again, spoiler alert, he didn't actually run away, but simply hid inside the walls, living between the drywall of the house. It's actually super sad. In one scene, you learn that the room that he sleeps in sits just outside of the family's dining table, and he actually watches through a crack in the window and, and eats dinner with them at the same time. I mean, so sad. Brutal. But what's interesting about Bruno is that despite the fact that he's distanced from the family, he still continues to play a role in it, both in the fact that he occupies the minds of the family members psychologically, they can't even think about him without getting nervous or stressed or shutting down, but also Bruno works in the background to try to save and support the family still. One of the other main conflicts that we see in the movie, the actual sort of central conflict that you're given in the story, I've been talking metaphorically, but the way they depict it in the movie is that the emotional burdens that all the family members are carrying are actually damaging the magic of the house. They're damaging the miracle, the encanto. And so you see all these cracks forming and slowly destroying the house. And as the family gets into greater and greater conflict, the cracks become worse and worse. And ultimately the house is destroyed. 
When you meet Bruno, you find out that he has actually been attempting to repair the cracks in secret. Again, a really blatant metaphor, but literally, you know, his attempts to distance himself from the family aren't done because of a sense of dislike or resentment towards them, but rather an attempt to save the family from himself. He blames himself and thus separates himself from the family, but still tries to find ways to repair the cracks and support them. This takes me to the main character of the film, Mirabelle. In my opinion, she epitomizes the family role of the cycle breaker. She is the one who is the first to build up an awareness of the conflict within the family. She's the first one to begin to take steps to do something about it and drag this stuff out of the secrets of people's internal lives and into the open where it can be discussed and talked about. Mirabelle is depicted as a plucky, silly, but also confident 15-year-old girl who is deeply in love and dedicated to and very proud of her family. However, again, one of the main conflicts in the film is that she is not given a power. Out of all the members of the family, on her fifth birthday when she goes to open the door to her room and unlock her superpower, the door turns to dust in her hands to the disappointment of her abuela. Although she's seen as loved and accepted by the family, she always feels out of place and secretly like she's not good enough because she's not able to contribute with the power in the same way as these others have. Early in the film, we also see her younger cousin, who's aged five, get his own superpowers and successfully open the door, and you see Abuela becoming incredibly proud of him and supportive of him and saying, I knew you could do it. And so she's really left with this deep, you see this really deep sense of feeling of sort of not good enough. And again, she sings another really epic song about that, Waiting on a Miracle. Not the best song in the movie, but the end is epic. So go check out the end of Waiting on a Miracle. But yeah, Mirabelle is faced with this pervasive sense of something being not quite right. And she is the first one to notice the cracks in the house. In fact, when she gets upset and feels left out because she doesn't get the same sort of love and acceptance from Abuela as the other family members that have powers, that's when you see the first cracks form in the house. And the adventure of the movie, the main sort of action that takes place, is Mirabelle trying to solve the mystery of why the house is breaking. She has this pervasive and deep sense that something is wrong, that the foundation of the family is being threatened by this kind of unknown dark force, but she can't figure out what it is. And so she goes off and sets about solving the mystery. And in doing so, she sort of confronts and speaks to individually all of these members of the family, finds out their story, finds out their sort of hidden conflict, the things they've been suppressing about themselves, or the amount of pressure they've been putting under themselves to conform to the expectations. And this is the interesting piece of the cycle breaker because at first her efforts are actually counterproductive. She finds that as she begins to bring these issues out in the family, the cracks become worse. People start fighting more, the house starts to break down more. Some of the family members that were once incredibly powerful and the most adept at using their skills start to lose their powers. The strong member of the family, Louisa, kind of can't lift anything anymore and, and suffers an emotional breakdown as a result. And Mirabelle, in fact, gets blamed for this. Part of the reason that Uncle Bruno, you find out later, left was because he had a vision of her destroying the family. And it almost looks like she does so. In fact, the, the conflict that she creates in bringing all of these issues to the surface and discussing them with family members and ultimately bringing them to the attention of Abuela, that Abuela is making everyone feel like they're not good enough and they don't measure up to the expectations of the family. 
that actually causes the house to be almost completely destroyed and, and leaves massive rifts between several members of the family, almost completely depriving them of the magic and close connection that they originally had. But here we see the power of the cycle breaker also coming to fruition. After the blow-up, after all of the pain and hurt and conflict is drawn out of the family and brought into the open, and although it causes a lot of struggle in the moment and temporary destruction of the foundation of their lives, what happens is the mountains literally split open, again another metaphor, and uh, Abuela and Mirabel actually find themselves at the same river just down the outskirts of town where the Abuelo was killed. So we come back full circle now, and we see the memory in its full form. We see the the traumatic effect. I mean, this this poor woman has three little babies, and her husband dies, and now she's responsible as the matriarch of this entire community. It sort of explains the, I mean, she's under that same pressure too, right? She put all this pressure on herself to keep everybody else safe, keep everybody else alive, and carry the burden and the responsibility of that. And once she becomes aware of the fact that that's how the trauma has affected her, the fact that she has made everything about the gift and not about the people that the gift is for, she's able to release that pain and that tension and refocus herself on her love and her connection with her family. She reunites with Mirabelle and accepts her for who she is. She reunites with Bruno and accepts him for who he is, and the family reunites together to begin working on rebuilding their house. And as well, they learn to rely on their community. They start to see that they don't have to be solely responsible for fixing and taking care of everything. They can also rely on and get help from people around them, the people that they've supported. I mean, I think I'm barely doing this justice. This is a very rich and multi-layered movie. There's a ton of little metaphors and callbacks and subtle details that point to some of these themes, point to some of these ideas, tie things together. I just think it's a really beautiful story. Like I said, I think it's visually stunning. I think the music is really creative and really engaging and just genuinely entertaining good music. I think the story is both very emotionally deep and that explores very complicated and challenging topics, but in a way that's very kind of accessible and understandable. I think the story itself, the way they present the mystery of why the house is breaking apart and how it all kind of comes together in the end is just very, very impressive and very kind of satisfying storytelling. The character arcs are very satisfying. The people, you really see them grow and change in subtle ways. This movie really impressed me, really touched me. Uh, and so I just couldn't help but make a podcast episode about it and try to at the very least do it some sort of justice so there you have it Encanto. by the way i'm almost done my master's degree so i'm gonna have a little more free time coming up in the near future i'm gonna try to get on top of releasing more episodes more frequently again i'm gonna try to get out there and start doing some interviews bring on some interesting guests so thank you for your patience and if you are a consistent listener for sticking around through this incredibly challenging time but very soon i'm going to be in a much better position stress-wise financially wise hopefully and uh just time wise and so i'm gonna try to keep this podcast going so stay tuned thanks for listening take care of yourself dad <laughs>